Hey, hey. Okay, so you guys know that I've moved my platform over to Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki. So everything is moved there. That's where I'm now housing all my parenting content. For a dollar a month, you can access all the episodes of my podcast, but no worries if you don't want to do any financial commitment at all. We'll continue to release selected episodes here on your favorite listening platform. And just so you know, I also put up free public posts and mini podcasts on that Patreon page. So all you have to do is head over to that main page, patreon.com slash Jamie Glowacki, and you can see my free public posts and mini podcasts. Head over there to check it all out. And now on to today's show. Hey, I'm Jamie Glowacki, and you are listening to Oh Crap, I Love My Toddler, But Holy Fuck. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hey, hey, you guys, welcome. So today I wanted to start off the podcast with a few personal personal things. Um, one is, you know, of course, y'all know I got my puppy and I learned these things from Maverick all the time. It's not that I learned them. It's, I seemed to parent Pascal very intuitively well. I am not parenting Maverick intuitively well. <laughs> and so I'll have these moments where I'm like, oh, this is what you guys are going through. (laughs) And so I'm learning so much. And maybe too, because Pascal is like a teenager right now and Mav's definitely closer, closer in disposition to your little guys. But anyway, so one of the things that happened is Maverick has gotten humongous. So we got him when he was 11 weeks. If you are on Instagram, you saw stories like behind my back, he got huge. And he now goes to like this farm daycare once a week. And the daycare woman, she's an excellent dog trainer. It's been around dogs her whole life. And she was like, well, that one's got some great Pyrenees in him. And I was like, are you kidding me? I thought he was like lab border collie. Great Pyrenees are livestock protecting dogs. They are humongous. And Mav's head is like the size of Texas right now. It's kind of crazy. So anyway, I have, y'all know I live out in the woods and so I have a truck, but I also have a little uh, hybrid car, a little C-Max. It's my little city runner and it's uh, amazing. But Mav has gotten so big that he doesn't really fit in the C-Max. So I've like folded the, the seats forward. So he's got like the whole range of the back because he's so big. And it's kind of one of those things that I didn't think about. Like he just kept getting bigger and I kept, you know, like it's the thing I talked to you guys about, like we we get so focused on the daily track, like just do the next thing that we don't see the big picture. Right. So guess who's super guilty of that with her dog? Me. Because <laughs> like every day it was more like, how do I survive this day with this dog? So, you know, we put the seat forward, his harness stopped fitting. I just never got around to getting another harness. He's super cute. He's super well behaved and he jumps into the front seat. And of course, he looks so majestic sitting next to me and he doesn't bug me while I'm driving. And I know I'm a terrible mom for not putting my doggy in a little harness or car seat. So I take full responsibility for that. But anyway, what happened the other day is I had to, of course, break rather quickly. And he he scooched forward and he hit his head on the dash and no harm, no foul. But I was like, I got irritated. And I go, Mav, God, just get in the back and lie down. Like, come on, you can't be in the front. You're going to get hurt. And then I had this like crazy laughing aha moment where he's like, Jamie, the seven month old puppy is not the one responsible for making good decisions here. The 53 year old mom is the one who's responsible for making the good decisions. And so 
I just wanted to share that with you because I was dying laughing. Like somehow I expected this dog to make a good decision because obviously there's more room back there, right? That's logic. Does my seven-year-old puppy understand logic? No. Is he ever going to understand logic? Probably not, but especially not now. And so I just thought it was the funniest thing. And I wanted to share that with you. Don't make your child responsible for making the good decision. They're not really capable. And I have said this before, your average dog has the same brain as your average three-year-old. And of course there's discrepancies and Mav arguably is younger than that, but don't let your child, don't expect, that's the better word. Don't expect your child to fully make good decisions. They're not going to make good decisions. They're too new. They don't have the brain development. Arguably they won't have the brain development until they're about 25. Pascal is an astounding teenager, and he still makes some very questionable decisions. Of course, as our kids grow, we want to give them a little more power, a little more uh, decision-making ability, and we hopefully are guiding them towards making good decisions all the time, right? But it, I still make some classically bad decisions, but I just couldn't believe that I somehow expected this dog to understand and relate that he should just be in the back where it's safer, right? It's up to me. It's up to me to buy the thing that won't allow him in the front seat. It's up to me to buy the harness, not for the dog to make the good decision to sit quietly while I break really quickly. And I just find that we often do that in our parenting, especially with our kids under six, especially in this new parenting paradigm that we have where we want to validate feelings and we we want to give our kids way more choice and choice with consent and a lot more choice than we've ever given in the past and really include them in our lives as human beings. However, their capacity for logic and good decision-making is so limited. So I wanted to start this episode by saying that. <laughs> I also had a client ask me if I have always been pragmatic and organized, or if it was something that I had a skill I had to build because we were talking about scheduling and I was relaying part of my scheduling and I I can appear, I think, very pragmatic. And it is, I've always been a pragmatic person and I've always, I've always been organized, but I've always had a knack for like, is it working? And if it's not, why isn't it? And so one of the things that has been shuffled in my life recently is I just realized my life wasn't working. And I'm telling you guys this because our kids grow and shift and change and our own work situations or life situations or whatever, even just our energy through the month. If, you know, if you're a mama, you know, our, our cycles, how they shift, our energy shifts with our cycle and that it can be while I'm all about rhythm and routine, figure out if you're like struggling through every day. And of course it's a struggle with your toddlers. I just wrote on Patreon. um, Somebody had said, you know, oh golly, when, what are we going to do when our kids age out from you? And I was like, oh, I'll just keep up with you guys. I think, but I have to be honest, teenagers are a cakewalk next to toddlers. So it only gets better. (laughs) You guys are super in the trenches. But if If something's not working, like you're regularly not getting shit done, that's what was happening to me is I was like, wait a minute, I'm not doing anything well anymore. I'm struggling, you know, even I got behind my my podcast recording schedule. I am trying to redo a couple of my courses. I, my friends, my workout, uh, Pascal, I just, I'm exhausted by the end of the day. I was like, this isn't working anymore. And so my solution, as you guys know, I'm an early riser. My solution was get up earlier. 
I kept getting up earlier and finally, guys, I'm getting up at three. And I was like, it's still not working. What's happening? And so I had to sort of put all these components, you know, into a, a, a meat grinder and see what came out. And I really had to just shake up my schedule. And part of that was actually sleeping a little bit later. I don't, I'm tired. I don't know why I suddenly need more sleep. I want to sleep till like 536 instead of my usual four. And then I was like, wait, how about if I do this? And and literally for me, I'll just break this down so you have some sort of uh, ground, uh, le- ground level idea. You know, I do a lot of creative stuff. I have, you know, like Instagram needs to be kept up. Um, I have recording the podcast. I have a newsletter. I have the daily circles. I have these things that require like some creativity and they require some sketching out and some thought. Yeah. It's not just busy work. Then of course I have like answering emails, answering messages, uh, speaking with clients. And those are very, those are easier. They don't require as much thought and, and energy as far as like, you know, sketching things out and, and going from thought to thought. It's, I know the work, I know the work really well. And so I was always trying to do everything super early. And I was like, well, how about if I keep like the businessy things, like answering emails and, you know, setting up podcast interviews, all those kinds of minutiae, right. That go into running a business. And then, so I made those later in the day, I'm doing my workout early and I'm, like doing a really good extended workout. I am like being a little bit stricter of how I, I talk to clients on a walkie talkie app. So like I, there's a lot of access. And one of the things I've realized is I can avoid, I can procrastinate by overworking and, and over communicating with clients because I feel like I'm doing something, but I am really avoiding something else. So anyway, I restructured my whole day and it's, fantastic. And it looks nothing like it did two weeks ago, but it just, I just wanted to share that with you because if your day isn't working and it's not just the regular exhaustion of being a parent and and your kid up your ass all day and, and the whining and the negotiating and the sibling stuff, if it's just like, what is wrong? I can't ever seem to get ahead of my own eight ball. It's worth breaking down and sort of maybe even taking the components of your day and seeing, well, what if I shift this here? And what if I shift this there? Like, I don't know, maybe it's going to the park with your kid at eight in the morning. Maybe that's where they get their playtime instead of in the afternoon. Maybe the afternoon is when a little screen time can happen. So you can take a rest or whatever it may be. It's worth though, like kind of reverse engineering it. Like I always talk about that concept. It's worth figuring it out because a simple shift in the components, you don't have to change what you do in a day. It's like when you do things, maybe all you need to like really start nailing your life again. And I just believe that we're not here to just drudge through every day or be caught on a hamster wheel where we just feel like we can't catch up. So anyway, I wanted to share that. So if you're struggling with it, like I was struggling because I was just like, how is this possible? I am super pragmatic, organized, capable. I always, I slay my to-do list and suddenly for whatever reason, it just wasn't working. Now I wanted to move on because I just realized this last week that a lot of people are coming onto Patreon, which is awesome. Thank you. I appreciate you guys so much, but you may be jumping in to podcasts, like just kind of in the middle of things. And I realized that we've been doing so much work here. You guys, it's unbelievable since I started on Patreon. Like we started, I kind of opened with the go to your room strategy, which was like on the tail end of the season one, which was on like, um, you know, Spotify and Apple podcasts and all of that. We moved into like 
thick trauma work in January. Then we went on like that co-regulation and the self-regulation boundaries, all this stuff. I feel like we've done some really big work. But what may be happening if you're new to me and Patreon, or if you're new to season two, you might be jumping in and have the timeline a little screwy. So it can be like really weird if you like jump into a podcast where I'm like, no, your child should go to their room. And if you have to lock them in there, then that's what you have to do. And that's not like, that's not where we start. So I wanted to run through sort of the hierarchy of what happens when your child is misbehaving. And there is such a range of this. I think, I think what I'll probably do is like, let's run through this whole hierarchy with hitting. Cause I think that's a really common one and where things can kind of go askew. And some of this will be repetitive, especially if you've been like an ardent, you know, I, some, I know some of you guys are like, Oh my God, I listen to it as soon as it comes out. But I also think it's, it bears repeating. And I think it's nice to see it in a really concrete timeline. And I talked about this a little bit in the last podcast, but I want to, I really want to lay it out for especially newer people. So if we take a child who's about, you know, like at two is when a child might start doing, you know, quote unquote, bad things up until then, I think it's almost like all things are kind of explainable and cute. You know, if your 16 month old is kind of hitting, it doesn't hurt. It's like, no, no, no. But when you get to two, you start mingling with other kids and, and maybe your kid's behavior really starts to amp up a little. So the very first thing we always try to do is a, a very easy, quick you know, gentle parenting. No, no, we don't hit. You might like, you know, block, kind of grab their hand, not violently, but grab their hand as they're about to hit. No, no, we don't hit. Okay. We don't hit people and great. And that's awesome. And at that point in time, some kids will be like, oh, okay, we don't hit. And that will be that. Other kids will be like, what? (laughs) No, I'm going to keep hitting. It might start to escalate. Okay. You might have to take it to the next level. Now, what we always want to look at once the child starts, so you have that baseline, right? Where you, you want to just say, I see you're frustrated. I can see that this isn't going your way, but we don't hit people. Come, you know, come sit on my lap, something like that. We try that, right? What I'm hearing from more and more and more is parents whose kids are escalating and they've been escalating kind of over time. Remember, we're always working two things. We're working, I call it underground and overground or what's happening underneath and a Band-Aid, okay? So as your child escalates, and I get some very, very intense situations. So let's say the hitting has escalated where now anything happens and your child hits you, hits other people. This is when you would absolutely try the go to your room strategy. Okay. And that is, again, it's not a punishment. It is a settle your body. What I'm hearing from on Patreon in in clients, and regardless of all the work we've done here on Patreon thus far, is that parents still don't want to do that. They're still convinced it's abandoning. They still think that that's going to get a bigger reaction. So let's say your kid is hitting you. And it's hurting. I literally just heard from a client who has a massive scratch on her face from her child who has been escalating, right, over time. Our temptation in these moments is to move the boundary, whatever the boundary was. So let's say the child reacted because you said no to something. But they react, they end up hurting you, right? Then you say, okay, 
five more minutes on the TV or, okay, I'll keep playing with you or, okay, you can have this. A lot of times we move the boundary. That is a lot of times what causes these escalations is we keep moving the boundary and then the child has to keep testing it or the child now has too much power. So a lot of times, and I'm hearing from so many of you about the kid who wants to play with you all day long and is never happy with enough with, you know, whatever time you give them. They always want more. It, and it can be single kids or it can be um, uh, solo kids or even siblings. It's, I'm just, I keep hearing this over and over and over again. So this is a perfect example, right? So the kid has too much power. You want to avoid a tantrum. So what do you do? You say, we're done playing in 20 minutes. The kid throws a fit. You move the boundary just a little bit. Okay, three more minutes. Okay, so pretty soon now you're playing with your kid all day long, which is great. They're happy. They have it. But they're also highly reactive now because they have too much power. When we give kids all the power over us, right? They can have a lot of power over themselves, but when they start dictating our actions, you're going to play with me, you're going to cook me lunch, you're going to do this, that's too much power for them. And they get even more reactive because they shouldn't have that much power. It's scary. It messes up their prefrontal cortex. It's just, it's not the natural order of things. So check on that first, okay? Check that you're not subtly moving the boundary and check that your child's not dictating your actions because again, it's too much power and you're only going to see worse behavior if that's what's happening. And it's so counterintuitive because we think they're looking for power, they're looking for this, let's just give them a little bit more. But when we do that, it becomes a a runaway train because developmentally they're not accustomed to that, they're not um, developmentally capable to handle that. So then they start reacting even stronger. You want to look at when your child is escalating, you always want to look at what is causing this, what is causing this. And I can almost always assure you that what is causing them to escalate is not you. Okay. And, and yes, you can absolutely add fuel to the fire in those moments. But if you have a kid who just kind of blows up out of the blue or is really struggling with physicality and and some violence, yeah, something else could be going on and we want to investigate that, but we can't investigate that in slow motion because you need triage. You need something in the moment. You need that band-aid fix. You cannot sit there while your child is physically or verbally pummeling you. If you can, you're remarkable and I commend you. But that is, again, that's the point at which you get dysregulated. And for those of you who might be new and jumping into this podcast, please go back and look at those podcasts on self-regulation and co-regulation, okay? That is what's going on. And so that's where we find that I find most parents are getting so stuck is they think they should be able to just be there and be calm, but they're not. Yeah. And so I'm hearing from clients who, well, I just, I freaked out. I yelled. Girl, I would yell too. Your kid was hitting your face and, you know, they're little and we don't want to come at them physically to stop us. Right. So you could like actually get into a physical altercation with a child and we don't want that. And It's really, we don't want a child to have, to know that they can just sit there and pummel you. That's also not really the good lesson, okay? It is so much better for you guys to separate. If that is why, again, we do the go to your room strategy. Hey, I can see you're pissed off. I'm pissed off. Let's go to our rooms and settle our bodies. That is a totally fair statement. And on this, I want to be really clear, you guys. Don't do that really annoying, quote unquote, gentle parenting technique. I can see you're very frustrated. 
Dude, if you said that to me in the middle of an argument, I would throat punch you. That is so condescending. I see. I know what you guys are trying to do. I know it's like, okay, we want to help the child. We want to label the, we want to help them label the feeling so they can understand where it's coming from. Like, I know that's where it comes from and it's super rooted in a good place, but it's also really annoying when somebody says to you, well, you look very angry. Really? No shit. I just threw a Tonka truck at your head because I'm pissed off. Like you don't need to, (laughs) right? We don't need to say that to the child. We can acknowledge though, like, whoa, you're mad and I'm starting to get mad. So how about we take a break? Maybe that's when you say, let's take a break together. Shall we go to your room or my room? You can absolutely take that time together if you can settle together. Some kids love that. Some kids can. You can go to your room, their room, get out of the room where the shit's flying, right? Go to another physical space. You know, can you take that space together? 100%. But if you're going to take that space and the kid keeps pummeling you, or you're going to take that space and you've already become so dysregulated that you're in tears or you've already yelled, then you need to separate you guys. And that is the band-aid. Is that the solution? No. The solution is getting to the bottom of it. And the bottom of it, you know, that is all the other work that we're doing as conscious parents in this new paradigm of parenting. That is when in non-hot moments, We create the anger throwing corner where we create emotional vocabulary, where we might process or, you know, role play through, hey, next time you get really frustrated, why don't we try these things? Next time you get mad, why don't we try these things? Hey, you're starting to get upset. Do you want to do a burrito? The roll them up in the blanket technique, right? These are all things we've talked about. What I'm hoping to do right now is sort of put them all together because I feel like, I feel like what's been happening is. You guys are super appreciative of each episode, but linking them together in sort of a timeline is a little trickier. So again, if you guys can settle together, that's amazing. And some kids may, like you'll see your kids start to like totally lose their shit at the suggestion of going to their room. If you can settle together, again, this largely depends on you. And can you, because if you need this space, you guys, take the space. It is infinitely better to lock your child in a room for five minutes while you get your shit together, regulate and stabilize your own emotional state, and then come back to your child. Then you can lend them your calm. You cannot give them your chaos. Okay. Does that make sense? And so I know that If again, if you're new and you're coming up on me, what lock my kid in my room? Who the fuck is this woman? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if you need to take the space, take the space. Because what happens next if you don't take the space, it's not just that you're lending them their chaos. That's when psycho mom comes out. Nobody can maintain while a kid is throwing shit at your face. Maybe you can, but God love you. And please come on my podcast and tell me how you do it because that is superhuman. I was working with a dad who was like, if my kid hits me and I get like, ah, it, it hurts more than like, uh, like a bar fight. And, and I was like, because it's unexpected. And it's also that we give our kids so much. It's like, it is a, a metaphorical slap on the face in addition to the regular slap on the face, right? And so it's exacerbated. And then we fly. I mean, how many times did your kid just whacked you out of the blue and you fly off the handle because you're human, because getting slapped in the face out of the blue is jarring. So in those moments too, when you lose your shit, please don't feel guilty. You're human. 
I'm human. I've lost my shit on my kid for the same thing. It happens, right? We can't be expected. That's the other thing with this whole gentle parenting is like, like you walk through your day totally regulated all the time available for your child's emotions to ping off of you. That is wonderful if you can be. I am not that person. I am working. If my kid comes up on me and hits me while I'm working, I'm distracted. I'm fighting with somebody on the internet. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like we all, you might be doing dishes and have a monologue about you and your spouse's fight last night and your kid comes up on you and surprises you with some sort of physicality, some sort of physical violence. And that's when you lose your shit. But I have parents falling apart. Oh my God, I'm a terrible mom. I need to work on my shit. Yeah, we all need to work on our shit. We all need to make sure that our wounds are clear. But I also want to give you guys some grace. Please understand that there are these sudden moments that we're all going to lose our shit. It's not losing your shit that's the the horrible part, right? Because in those moments, we tend not to be like so the catastrophic thinking. But these are learning lessons. These are the life lessons where you go back to your kid, you apologize. You say, you know what, mommy just got so frustrated. I just, I I yelled. I didn't mean to. I'm working on it. I will try to do better. What do you think I should do? If your child's old enough to speak, you can work out a little bit of a plan. Include them, include them in your absolute human emotion. This idea that we need to be in sainthood while our kids swirl around us, I think it's unrealistic and it's damaging us. And that's part of this whole thing is like that whole confusion about co-regulation. If it's available, co-regulation is the best thing in the world. If it's not available to you, it's okay to separate. And it's okay to separate in a really jarring way if you have to. Okay. And I I think just by the nature of the beast, I'm just getting more and more extreme cases. And it feels like the more extreme the child's behavior, the more the parents feel like they should just be able to be there and be present. We want to get to that point, but you may not be able to right away. And I don't want you to feel bad about that because that's I don't, that's sainthood, man. I think that's like Jesus and Buddha. That just, that comes around once in a while. So that's the trajectory. Okay. And if you have any questions, if you need any clarification, you know, I love the ongoing dialogue. I'm happy to break this down even farther, but on the tail end of that, I do want to say we have to, as a generation of parents, one of the things that we're all doing wrong is we want our kids to like us. And we want a good relationship, but we also just want our kids to like us, which is natural, but that's not really our job. Our job is to parent. And even if they don't like us now, do you want a healthy relationship? Yes. And I've also said this quite a lot here. These young years, the zero to zero to five, zero to six you don't really have a relationship with your child. It's very unweighted. You are the caregiver. You are the boundary maker. You are the rule maker. You are the provider, right? That's really hard to have a relationship. That's, you know, grown up settings. Like look at the power your kid has compared to the power you have, you have, right? And like, and, and just regular power and, and emotional awareness. Now imagine that you guys had this at like 20 and 25. That's not a fair relationship, yeah? So don't concentrate on having a good relationship. Concentrate on the boundaries and the rulemaking and keeping everything safe and secure and rhythm and routine. And we really want that secure attachment, yeah? That's what you want. And you create secure attachment with boundaries and holding the boundary. And we go back to the beginning of this whole um, trajectory, this whole hierarchy, 
you want to not shift any boundaries because that's that severs the attachment, right? Because if you move, if I go to reach for you and you keep moving, that's not a fun game, right? And same thing if you keep moving the boundaries and I know how it happens because they're exhausting and it's it's easier. It's easier to avoid the meltdowns, right? But here's the other thing, along with not wanting your kid to like you and don't worry about the relationship because that comes, that comes like now. And even now it's unweighted, obviously, because I still hold so much of the power, but like Pascal and I have this really cool relationship. It will come. I promise you, if you build this house, like with a really strong foundation, but in addition to them, you know, not caring if your kid likes you or not. You can't take any of this personally, okay? Your child is still learning and you can't, you just can't take it personally. So if you can stand another Maverick story, you know, we do trail running and it has just been raining here obnoxiously. Like every day it's humid, it's gross, nothing is drying out. So the trails are super muddy. So I take him running and he's got that long recall leash and I let it hang, you know, in case we run into anybody, I can grab it, but he's super awesome. But now he's running through the normal trail, which is really muddy. And I'm kind of running on the other side. And the other day I was like, Mav, come on, get out of the mud because like, because then his leash gets all dirty. Then I get all dirty and I don't mind being dirty, but like every single day, you know, and I just, again, I had this moment where I was dying laughing because I was like, you think he gives a rat's ass about that leash. Do you think he gives a rat's? He doesn't even know that he's in a puddle. He's just walking. He minding his business. He's just doing his thing. And it, it again reminded me of the parenting work. Like your kid, whether it's getting dirty or doing something shitty, it's not you. They don't care about you right now. It's their, it's not their job to care about you. We want them to care about you in an empathetic way of like caring for all human beings. Like we don't hit any human beings, not just mommy or daddy, right? But it's not you personally. And if they're ignoring you, it's not because they're ignoring you. It's not personal. It's because they're busy. They're playing with something. It has nothing to do with you. And I think that's a really hard thing to kind of accept. They're never... (laughs) First of all, they're never going to love you the way you love them. That's just a fact. So you can't expect equal love. It's amazing the love they give us. But the nature of the beast is that we just are going to, we're going to love them more. And also they just, it's not really their job at this time to care about you. And again, I don't mean in like, empathy, getting hurt, that kind of way. I mean, don't expect them to care about your feelings because it's not really their job. They're still figuring out all their stuff. And I keep saying this in, oh crap, I have a toddler. And I keep saying this, I say it often on Instagram. I say it often here is, holy shit, I just had the biggest brain fart. I say it so much. I don't even know. (laughs) I forgot what I was going to say. They just, they don't care. They don't care about us. It's not their job. And we have to parent without their permission. And that is the big thing. And if I think of the exact phrasing, because I just, I was like looking out and this cardinal came and sat (laughs) on my jacket. I totally lost my train of thought. But anyway, um, I can't think of the exact phrase, but I will. And the bottom line though, is just don't, don't take it personally. It's not about you. It's, oh, I know what it was. They're brand new on the planet. And I think we forget that we forget how new they are. Like think about how long you've been alive. Think about how much you've learned along the way. And we come at our emotional life with our kids with that and kind of almost expecting the same in return. And logically, we know, logically, we know their brain development is so new and tiny, but 
somehow we still get pinged in the heart by it. You know what I'm saying? We say like, well, you know, he doesn't, oh, I hear this from clients all the time. Well, he doesn't seem to care. Why would he care? He's two and a half or three and a half. Like it's not his job to care. It's his job right now to barrel through life touching and tasting and smelling and tripping and falling and learning. That's his or her job right now, right? It's not about, it's not about caring. That's going to come later. So don't take it personally. Don't expect them to care. Don't expect them to have an even emotional exchange. And again, I know we know this logically, but somehow somehow it gets weird in our heads and it it manifests in like disappointment that our kids don't have the emotional capacity. I can guarantee you guys it's coming. It really is. It's hard because like you're living your every day. I know you can't even imagine, like I'm teaching Pascal to drive and I know you're like, what? That's never going to happen for my kid. (laughs) And so it's hard to see it and it's hard to build the house slowly, but it, it is going to come and you will have that relationship and they will have that capacity coming up, come in the next, you know, upcoming years. All right, you guys, on that note, I am going to log off. I appreciate your patronage so much. I love our questions. I love our back and forths. I love feedback. I love clarifying. I love it all. Have an awesome day and rock on. All right. I'm going to sign off for today. You can always go to jamieglowacki.com for the super cool latest updates, including the launch of my new book, Yummy New Book Presale Treats, when we release new episodes, and how to work with me directly. And of course, if you need any potty training help, there's a handy link there that will take you to all my potty training resources, including all my courses. That's the Oh Crap Potty Training online course, my pooping solutions course, and my night training supplement. And if you need additional help, how to book with a certified Oh Crap consultant. That's all at jamieglowacki.com. Have a beautiful day and rock on.